Artful Dodger formed in Fairfax, Virginia in 1973, originally called Brat. Their self-titled debut was released by Columbia in 1975, produced by Jack Douglas. It was a strong album, but the second record, Honor Among Thieves, was even better in my opinion. It's a 70s rock classic. They stumbled a bit with their third album, Babes on Broadway, in large part due to questionable production from Eddie Leonetti, they really missed Jack Douglas, and probably lack of time to write the songs. Then came the fourth album, Rave On, in 1980, released by Areola Records. It's the band's best, in my opinion. An overlooked gem filled with great power pop and punchy rock and roll. I recently re-released an episode I did about the band years ago, along with my Badfinger episode. But on today's episode, you'll hear a conversation I had with Artful Dodgers drummer, Steve Brigida. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I should have asked Steve when I had him on the line. Anyways, what a nice guy and a great band. Check it out. can't even tell you how much of a fan I am of Artful Dodger, one of my favorite bands ever, honestly. Uh, wow, I'm honored. 70s rock and power pop, I'm such a big fan of, and uh, I still remember when I found, I had the first album back in the 90s, probably because of one of those compilations that Wayside was on. I still remember finding Honor Among Thieves and Babes on Broadway, they were in the dollar bin, <laughs> you know, at the <laughs> wow. record store. And I bought them, uh-huh. man, Honor Among Thieves, I love so much. And then later I got Rave On, and that's my favorite one <laughs> of all your records. Yeah, Rave On is, is my favorite album. Oh, um, I think it's, it's, it's a shame, too, because we had the right personnel and everything with Peter joining the crew um, with the keyboards and wonderful guitar and just a great attitude. We, but we were already pretty much dead you know i mean just emotionally dead we had toured you know and driving eight hours playing a half hour opening set for somebody getting booed off the stage checking this the stores and no product and it just we felt like we were i didn't think that you know or we didn't think we were catching fire at all yeah yeah rayvon's a great album i i think it's uh, you know, there's some great moments in all the other albums, and for sure, Honor could Honor Among Thieves. If it had had, I think more like a production of the Rave On album, the sounds, you know, the tones and everything, I think it would have been more critically acclaimed. Something happened, and I, you know, a lot of people blame Eddie Lee and Eddie, but I. I don't know. I I enjoyed Eddie. He was fun, but I don't think he brought out the best in us necessarily. Jack changed our lives, at least the rhythm section, and uh, made an album like Rave On possible. seems like the difference between the first album and honor among thieves is the first album has much of more of that jangly power pop kind of feel 
the Honor Among yeah. Thieves is much more of just a rock and roll record, which I also love. I mean, Keep Me Happy, uh, Not Enough. Right. I love those songs. was a strong force and he you know i think he envisioned and and sort of and drew from the talents of the band with gary cox in the band we had a strong harmony singer and he and he loved working in the studio he wasn't very effective live as a lot of players are but in the studio we could get we were almost like an you know we were shooting for an american hollies or something you know really a jangly 12 string and, you know, Holly's type harmonies, Beatles. With Honor, we sort of went the direction uh, more, yeah, like you said, 70s rock. We're trying to be like the Rolling Stones, but the the tones are so one-dimensional. There's no space or something. Something's wrong with it, in my mind, because the basic tracks sounded pretty good, and then when, you know, the finished product, I was disappointed, but I liked the tunes were good. Oh, yeah. The songs are great on that record. Well, thank you, man. That's nice. It's nice that people are still talking about us. I mean, I'm amazed. I'm always amazed. It's like, yeah, it was so, we thought we were like in the Alamo or something, getting just overrun by failure. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you. I mean, you put out really quality material to get overlooked in comparison to a lot of other bands is uh, unfortunate, but it's kind of a, that's what, you know, as a big music fan, that's the average person just has no idea how much great music there is that wasn't wasn't yeah. a hit. It just it doesn't have that's, to be a hit to be good. That's what people can't understand. You know. Yeah. A lot of stuff just well, kind of got different... overlooked. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That I'm honored among thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
definitely Artful Dodger get put in there with like the Raspberries and and Big Star and you know those bands like a band like Blue Ash. There's different bands that can yeah. get talked about. Yeah, it's definitely because of your first album more than anything because so of songs like Waveside. Yeah. yeah. But then, uh, First, uh, of course, on Rave On, there's some classic power pop songs on that record, too. So, Yeah, I mean, to me, It's a Lie is one of my favorite tunes. It's got everything I, I need mm-hmm. to determine, you know, define a favorite song. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know what power pop is. I mean, the Beatles are power pop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or not. I don't know. I mean... It it's like a, I guess the definition for me is a lot of harmonies. You know, emphasis on the melody, but there's it's powerful with you know power chords or like a who type. I don't know, but yeah, I guess I haven't thought about it very much. But yeah, people tend to file us as power pop, and and um, I I don't rave on. There's only a couple songs that are power pop to me, but um. Being anywhere connected with the Raspberries, and I'm deeply honored. I think they were a great group, and Eric Carmen is a force of nature. Yeah. I think uh, it's, you know, Wayside is such a respected song, and I think that's that's where you get put in that category of, like, <laughs> early power pop band is because of how how big that song sounds, how lush and, you know, how melodic it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally tip my hat to Jack Douglas because I mean, we, we were playing the instruments, but it was like his brain or something. And, and, uh, Gary Harrowick's guitar lead on that song is one of the high points of artful Dodger. In my mind, that lead, I could listen to that. And he doubled it with, he played an electric guitar and then he played John Lennon's acoustic doubled over it. And it's such a beautiful tone. You know, the tone is perfect. The notes, I mean, the, the plane is great. It's just, it's, I'm so proud of that moment. And, you know, Jack was, at least especially back then, I think he was more guitar and melody oriented than drums and stuff. But he worked hard with Steve and I on rhythm and, and uh, you know, and how to make yourself an integral member in a, in a group, an important member, even just by playing, you know, beats and stuff and, and uh, just taught me how to think. And, and that's a wonderful gift you can't buy i'm so grateful to him and i'm so grateful to bob dawson at the very end the last album because without you know the first rung of the ladder with jack teaching me how to think and then bob teaching me how to get there you know tempo and everything i'm i'm better now i wish i could play all those tracks over again (laughs) now at (laughs) 68 Mm -hmm. i would have done a better job it's interesting that Jack Douglas took that approach with you guys because that's not the kind of sound he really made with the other bands he worked with, you know. But I think that's a great producer that doesn't he doesn't yeah. put his stamp on it. He puts he drew the best of us and he drew the best of Cheap Trick and he drew the best of Aerosmith and he drew the best of John Lennon and you know whatever project he worked on, I think he he, it was like he wasn't Jack, you know, I'm going to make uh, Phil Spector sound or something. You know, he wasn't striving for a Jack Douglas sound. It was like, you know, took time and looked at you and made you 
presented you in the best light he could for you. You know, and that that's his trademark, I think, um, which is great. I mean, I'm I'm so blessed to have worked with that. That's the way I feel. I don't know if I speak for the whole band, but quite a few of them. He must have heard it in the songs because I'm just thinking about the other stuff he did in the 70s. It's almost all hard rock, you know. It's pretty much right. what Jack Douglas did was hard rock, but with Artful Dodger, he didn't he he went he made it a much more of a lusher sound, you know. And it must be could be because yeah. that's how he heard your songs, you know. Well, I mean, the demo tape that got us signed to Dave Lieber Krebs, Jack happened to be in the room when Gary Cox delivered the tape. And, you know, David Krebs was so knocked out with Bill's voice. He said, should I just sign the the singer? Mm-hmm. And Jack said, on like on a whim, which affected our lives, yeah, I signed the whole band. I'll work with him. And he did, you know, and he made us all important members, but I mean, Bill's an unbelievable singer in my mind. I think he's one of the best on the planet, but Jack, when he came down and listened to the songs, it was, you know, mostly Bill, but he brought out the harmonies from Gary Cox and brought out a couple, you know, Cox was a strong songwriter, but he also had the, um, I don't know, the, uh, luxury of, you know, only had, you know, to be very selective on his songs. You know, he could throw, you know, he only had to bring one or two to the band or he'd only bring his best ones. And Gary and Bill were writing the bulk of the material. So, you know, but yeah. And, and Gary Cox's songs, I don't think we couldn't reproduce them live very effectively. We weren't a bread or, a, you know, we wanted we would rather be a small faces or a faces or a rolling stones or something, you know, that's where most of us were at. And Gary Cox sort of, I mean, while he made us a certain sound, there was a, I loved artful Dodger with Cox, Gary Cox in it, but my favorite band is with Peter in it. And we were great live. I thought, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting to think about. Like you said, the faces, and uh, I mean, that's an obvious reference point with Billy's voice, but that would have been a big mistake to just kind of take you guys down that road of just being a faces knockoff. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, You know, like, you know, if you you don't want to be, if you sound like Bruce Springsteen, born to rerun kind of thing, you know? (laughs) So maybe that was Um, part of Douglas's thinking. You know, maybe he was like, "We don't want, we don't want these guys to sound like the faces. They'll just get a meet. I mean, that's all anybody will talk about. They're just yeah, be they'll, they'll catalog us right with right. A, you know a face knockoff and you know Rod Stewart and the faces sugar free or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a you're probably right. But all I know is he worked hard from the ground up on you know a lot of songs and. um you know, from the basic tracks and, and the, you know, bass and drums, every one of us knew what every note was going to be. It wasn't, and that's completely different from where I came from, where you just, you know, I, and I, and I'm reverted back, unfortunately to, I don't play the same thing twice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. but Jack had us have parts. And I think that structure and push, you know, drive the song and it's so important um yeah i'm grateful and i'm grateful that you think we're a great band i you know it was tough driving eight hours playing a half hour for you know opening for rush or whatever and getting booed off the stage (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 well when yeah when you're that good it must be a struggle to and to yeah. watch other bands hit that aren't even as good <laughs> as you. <It> can't be. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's frustrating. Um, near the end, I mean, we were kind of almost at each other's throats. It was like a bad marriage or something, you know. And mm-hmm. but uh, but we we're love, you know, we're blood brothers now, and I guess we went through 
like Vietnam vets or something. We went through a, a battle or a war. I don't know. We didn't win, but, you know, we are what we are. <laughs> I think, I guess the reason that you get put in that power pop category is just because not a lot of stuff sounded like Wayside when Wayside came out, you know. There's not a lot of bands you can point to that were quite doing yeah. that. And I so, I love the mix too with the bass way up and yeah. um great guitar you know the power guitar tones but the bass is like it was almost like the disco was real big in seventy five or whatever and and um I don't know what his mindset was but it, it I love the mix and I always have for some reason even though it just seemed when I first heard it, it's like wow that's that's like a rough mix where you're checking you know when you check instruments you you turn them up to make sure there's no glitches or something but now i wouldn't want it any other way it's um you hear everything you know there's yeah. congas in there you don't hear them until you really listen but and the harmonies are fabulous you know and and uh, no he just i think he if we had continued to work with him it might have been really interesting um we definitely wouldn't have had uh you know a rave on but we would have had something more hollies or maybe more wayside hopefully evolved but yeah wayside i'm very proud of and like i said that lead is one of the musical i mean everything billy did practically i love and i love gary cox's stuff but i you know like who in the world and the third album was interesting, you know. There's some good tones on that. Yeah, there's some good moments on the third album, but it seems like yeah, uh, it it seems like maybe you were, for whatever reason, the album was trying to be something different than the band really was. It seems right. Like. I think yeah, it was. I mean, Gary Cox was inviting people and not really talking to the rest of the band, and and um, Columbia was upset with us and that was probably the low point, but, but I, yeah, you're right. There's some great moments in on that album, like all the albums, you know, but Rave On is the, the best album. And, and really it's, it's almost a conglomeration of demo tapes that we made. We, you, you know, we never went in to record Rave On. It was like, it was just a group of, and Hank Lacani from Cleveland um, said, I think I could market the band so he got a deal with arista and areola was a branch of that and i mean that hank lacani made that possible you know rest in peace you know him right he he owned a bunch of clubs in the midwest uh agora yeah he was um that and was he was Cleveland? like our manager yeah yeah uh Ravon. What's so great about Ravon is it takes all the best elements from the first album and the second album and just makes them even better. So you've got the the great power pop songs and the great 70s rock songs. And yeah, wow. it's just well, such thank a great you. Record. Yeah. <laughs> it really is amazing. Every song. <laughs> Man, I, the, the checks in the mail, brother. <laughs> remember yeah. how wayside came together do you remember when that song was written and 
and when you were putting it, yeah. you were arranging it and everything. Can you t- talk about that? Yeah, um, I remember it was it was one of the few songs that really wasn't written until you know they they were take they took it to Jack unfinished, um, and like we would have treated it much more like a Who song. There would have been you know I the first time I heard it, those power chords, I was doing, you know, channeling my best Keith moon. I was just playing, you know, like think of the drum part. Uh, I can see for miles or something, you know, where, you know, not so much of a beat. Uh, you know, I didn't hear that. I just heard like explosions, like a bar fight going on. And, and that's the way I treat it. And Jack, Whoa, we're going to, you know, treat it like a Motown groove or something. And I'm going, okay, you know, you know, he wanted that bass line to be the thread and the, and like the, that's like the root or the, you know, trunk of the tree and the, and the branches turned out to be, um, you know, the guitar and vocals that, you know, that bass line just weaves through it like a string through a, thing of pearls or something i think it's so great i i wouldn't have seen it i didn't you know it's a unique way to approach that wow yeah and it sounds like he he played a major role in in how that first mm-hmm. record sounds oh absolutely yeah we didn't we were like we didn't know what the hell was going on i mean i don't care what i hope i'm not pissing off anybody <laughs> but we, we, we were construction by day and, and bias studios, you know, specked us the money by night, you know, to record. And, and, uh, you know, we didn't play clubs or anything. Um, we, we just made demo tapes and, uh, we loved the New York dolls. I mean, and, um, yeah. Lieber Krebs were involved with the New York dolls. So we, yeah. uh, had Gary Cox who wasn't working at the time, you know, um, go up to New York and it was the uh, lever Krebs was the first place he stopped. And, and Jack was in there talking about get your wings or toys in the attic or something. I don't know what, and that's how that happened. Interesting, huh? <laughs> yeah. Could have yeah, been Bill Palacelli. Jack did a lot of work on that New York dolls album. Um, from what I, I understand, Rundgren wasn't even around a lot of the time. And, and yeah, I know I was fascinated to hear that. Yeah. But did you did you read that Jack just let him play? Mm-hmm. Well, so did Todd. I mean, um, but he said this is art. You know, I mean, Jack at the time, Jack could have gotten session men to play our songs, and it would have been steady and great and sterile. You know. Yeah. So I'm I'm so grateful he he came down and worked for a, you know at least a month, maybe even two on basic tracks and you know we work at the in the rehearsal room just bass and drums and then the band would come in and i mean it was it, it wasn't no lollygagging man it was i mean we had fun but it was you know he gave us structure yeah no that first record is uh obviously a lot of work went into it and it's totally a classic i mean the the fact that yep. Bayside isn't like a ra- a rock radio staple, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. There's just certain songs like that that you don't understand why. I mean, <laughs> if they just played that, on, day, if they had buddy. been playing that on the radio since then, everybody would like yeah. that song. Who wouldn't like it? I don't under you know it doesn't doesn't well, make a lot you know, of sense. You, but what you say, there's a lot of truth because. Um, they were playing, they played Scream and, you know, on, on the radio stations in Cleveland. And we were like, we were big in Cleveland. I mean, of course, so yeah, you I guys think, were tailor made for, for that scene at that time. Yeah. And, and, um, but it, yeah, it was just amazing that if back in the seventies, if you were played on the radio, you were popular, you know, people told you what to like. Yeah, and, and and the music business back then, there were twenty people in suits be, between you and a record contract. Like nowadays, you can just 
you know, with your home equipment, you can record. And there's some unbelievably beautiful stuff that's just, you know, the music world is inundated. There's no money. And uh, I remember Steven Tyler telling us um, in at David's office, if you guys do make it, the money just pours in like, like a leaky roof. There's so many leaks, but if you don't make it, you know, which is likely you're not going to see any money. Yeah. You'll stay in debt. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, You know, the the song that got us signed was It's Over. We had a demo tape of It's Over. And David Krebs loved Billy's vocals. And like I said, you know, he he just loved Billy's vocals. And he was wondering if he should just sign the, the singer. And Jack said, nah, sign the whole band. And so that was, that was like the most important song for Jack to impress David with. And so... He was trying to think, he loves themes of, of, you know, both song and album. Yeah. And he was trying to think of a thing that would, you know, like the string through the pearls of that song. And he um, thought he was watching an early Frankenstein movie where you can hear a pulse going, you know, boom, boom, all the way through the, the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like his story about Walk This Way. <laughs> You've heard that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But, but um, so the bass starts out, bump, bump, you know, and then there's pretty much a bass pulse like that throughout the, when the, when the band, you know, when the guitar's da-da-da, then I hit the bass drum or whatever. When it, when the singing first comes in, I, I'm, I'm hitting a suspended bass drum. You can barely hear it, but that pulse continues, and that—that that was his theme. That's just a little trivia. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, but, yeah. Yeah. I, I know that he would like to have a kind of a running theme through a whole album. I know that's how you approach yeah. the first Cheap Trick album too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking he, of Cheap Trick, I wanted to—I'm actually working on a book about Cheap Trick. And so uh-huh. I wanted to ask you if you if you remember Jack Douglas talking about them or, or anything like that. Oh yeah, he he was talking about them before he was going to check them out. He said they've got a guaranteed market. You know they 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 tour the circuit in the Midwest, and and so even if they don't have a nationwide hit, it's a guaranteed you know whatever. 200,000 units. Mm-hmm. 
or whatever. So, and he said, you know, I think their songs are really strong and, uh, yeah, they're, they're awesome, man. Yeah. Cause, uh, he would have, when you guys were making Honor Among Thieves, he would have already, he went and saw them in March of 76 was when he first went and saw them. So I was thinking yeah. that he would have already been trying to get them signed when he was doing that record. But how much did he work on Honor well, Among Thieves? Because I know Eddie was on it too. Eddie did 90% of it. Jack would check, you know, and everything. And the only thing he, he came in on... Um, not enough you know he said do something different you know one and there's one part where um don't tell me you're in misery where the band go you better edit this shit out (laughs) but but he um he he wanted that part in there and then then he loved halftime grooves so you know steve and i would played a little halftime groove and then we went back into the song and that really is the only thing he actually you know arranged or produced on that album and and you know the thing i miss is the like i said the tones i was so disappointed and i don't i don't know who to blame i you know it's it's a water way under the bridge but it just i remember when I reflect back, I remember coming up to, to put percussion on. I'm going, where the hell is the depth? I don't hear any air between the instruments or something. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't articulate it. I still can't, but uh, you know, it's just, it just sounds so one dimensional as opposed to, you know, a great album sounds there's depth to it, you know? Well, I love that album, it's, but it's definitely, very different from the first album but which is just what you're describing is what's missing from it yeah but yeah i mean there's there's a depth the one song that i um i is you keep a knocking on that album i can't Mm -hmm. remember yeah i mean i it's not i love little richard's version but but uh eddie the band sort of had the way he recorded it and the the way it just sort of had more depth than a lot of the songs on that album. It, like Hey Boys and sounds so freaking great when we were doing the basics. And then it just sounds so like it's just dr- stick figures on a piece of paper as opposed to a movie. I And I'm not blaming Eddie. I don't know what it was. It could have been the transfer from tape to vinyl. You know, I mean, there's a lot of shit that goes on that I'd, I have no clue. Did you do it at the record plant? Yeah. Yeah. And Sterling Sound, I believe, which is, you know, stellar reputation. I don't know what happened. Um, I know that. And, I know Eddie and Jack went way back. Like, they were, like, high school friends oh, or yeah, something, they, weren't they? They were band members in a band called, I think, Privilege. Yeah, Privilege. Yeah, they and, were um, on the Isley Brothers label or something. Yeah, exactly. And Do you know uh, that story oh, about Eddie, when they went over to England yeah, and they wouldn't let him in? The boat? Oh, man. <laughs> I heard it from both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie was so freaking funny. I, I don't know what's up with him, where he is or whatever, but he is funny as shit. And he'd always wear these tailor-made suits and smoke these little stogies. He looked like Bat Masterson or something, you know? <laughs> God, what a character. Well, I just—I guess I would just like to know more about how that album happened and how it came together, because uh, it seems you know you—you you must have lost your record deal, right? We we lost Columbia, and we were—I um, know she's just my baby. We were recording it with um, at Bias Studios, a local studio, and it was a demo tape for i think warner brothers and we sent a tape and that that version that she's just my baby was passed by warner brothers and another song was passed by somebody else so we it's kind of like a, a quilt of of things and and we had a wonderful guitar player for a short time um, before we got Peter after Gary Cox left 
and um, name of Bod Bayram that was an Indian that went up, you know, he was in RAS and um, which Tommy Keene was in right, and then right. Tommy Keene. Yeah. And, and it, um, but he was awesome. And we, we became so Rolling Stones like, and I, I don't think any of our recordings ever really survived, but it was, he kicked our ass. And then, then we, we were doing more demos and we hired a studio musician, Peter Bonta, and he just fit in so well. We asked him to join and it took a lot of pressure off Gary cause he was the only guitar player. And, um, plus he added a lot, you know, right. and he could deliver live. Uh, and he, and Peter went on to play with the Roslyn, I mean, the Roslyn mountain boys, Mary Chapin Carpenter, um, you know, I mean, he's in now he moved to Italy and he's playing with a guy. I can't think of his name, but um, great musician. I mean, he's the real deal. So how does the the album end up being such a mix? Like, She's Just My Baby and Come Close to Me are just uh, straight up power pop songs. But then like Now or Never Mind... And it's a lie. Those sound a lot like uh, "Honor Among Thieves," you know, like "Not Enough" or "Keep Me Happy" kind of song. So you've got a great mix yeah. there. I, I think, um, you know, we just played what was in our hearts, and uh, we didn't have enough in our tool bags to play anything else. We weren't great, you know. We just had to. And if they wrote a song that, you know, I mean that they were affected by the raspberries and Tom Petty and, mm, you know, yeah. a lot of power pop and a lot of rock and roll. I, I mean, just, you know, we're, we basically, and I think all musicians, you, you basically ingest a bunch of stuff and you spit out what, you know, and they call that art. <laughs> <laughs> and that record comes out in 1980. So that's like, uh, it seems like it came when you're listening to it. It seems like it came out earlier, you know, but um, um, probably a lot of songs. I mean, we lost our contract. I don't know what in '78 or '9, and then we we never stopped playing really. Our recording, I should say, we were, you know, trying to get a con and and um, Hank Lacani. Was keeping us busy, you know, keeping making it so we could make rent. It was um, Ariola. Uh, I don't know if I ha even have any other records on that label. I don't think it's a real label. I, yeah. I think it's just a throw off of Arista, you know, kind of like Pilot Records was really Columbia. You know, it was back then, it, you know, there was so much money in the record industry and everything. And you know, David Krebs was the golden boy with, you know, Aerosmith. And so. So did they give you any kind of promotion for that? Rec I know I've seen on YouTube, there's some TV appearances, I think, that you did when that record came out. Well, I mean, Hank paid for some videos. And uh, it's a funny, I mean, when, when we first did those videos, we were going to lip sync. And I hate that. But yeah. So the first the first time they shot it, the guy didn't notice until halfway through, and um, I wasn't playing with any sticks. I was just pretending like I was playing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the pr producer goes, "Do you want to do this or you want to fuck around?" <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Well, I I'm not good enough to fake it. I mean, I I I want to really hit it." So I had to tape my drums if you look there's so much tape on you know because the band couldn't hear the track we we're playing because you know and, and it was we've all felt embarrassed it was like swimming in a swimming pool without any suit on or something oh, that must be so hard to do oh it's so embarrassing yeah. too yeah and then you know and to fake it uh in front of people like we had this simulation where we're playing in a club or something and yeah right, we're, right. but we had recorded it the night before or whatever and and so it's just basically a live live version of honor and wayside and um 
I think a girl shallow, a girl la 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 is, is done on that, right? I think. Right. We do that where all, all of a sudden there's one girl and then there's two and then the whole stage gets filled with girls and yeah, it's pretty. Oh, so those were like promotional videos. Okay, I thought it was like a right. TV show yeah, or something. Exactly. Were, okay. I, I think you know MTV was just kicking yeah. in and and uh, and they were trying to. Yeah, it's a lie. That twelve string guitar song. I, they made us change the name of it. I, I can't remember what it was originally. Tell you the news was the original name, but I think they, the, the people were upset because I think Steely Dan or something had a, but it had nothing to do with, with that. It wasn't. So. So what happened after Rayvon? You it didn't go anywhere. The band just split up then, or. Yeah, Bill was getting squeezed he you know had a kid and he's just tired of not making any money you know yeah. we we all didn't we you know the bad thing about just being normal people we all lived in our own house and had you know trying to have families and stuff and we weren't living in a communal house and selling drugs so the the hard times really hit us really hard and right. when bill left you know, we didn't have anything left. Um, and Peter went on to play with Mary Chapin Carpenter. And I, Steve and I went on to play with a guy named Jeff Smith, who's a great songwriter. And Gary went to play with Abad for a while and did it, did his own solo thing for a while. But, you know, nothing really caught fire.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 